Welcome to From the Unknown. And by doing so, we change the collective. Welcome to Radio 5G, where we sort fact from fiction, conspiracy from falsehood, reality from the unknown. And by doing so, we change the collective consciousness of humanity. A production of CosmicReality.com We are live. <laughs> we are live and we are live at Radio 5G. Hey, everybody. Michael Henry Dunn here and the one and only uh, Captain Nancy Hopkins. Good morning, Nancy. How's it going? Good morning, Michael. It's going good. I'm so glad you're here today. We haven't yeah. been out together for a bit and it's always a pleasure. Yeah, me too. So, um, yeah, I'm um, out in California coming to you from Pasadena uh, this morning. And it was funny, I just happened to go on Facebook this morning, see an interesting post out of the blue from Dr. Christian Northrup, the um, very influential um, speaker and author, best-selling author on women's health for many years and now an outspoken uh, truth movement figure uh, who's just done a lot of brave work in uh, bringing bringing out the truth about what's going on in the world and happened to come across a video that she and her daughter um, were sharing about a golden silver and gold warriors.com it's called about how to protect ourselves against the coming hyperinflation which is a result of the um, financial machinations of the usual suspects and uh, lo and behold I, I get on a pre-call chat here with Nancy and she says, well, I got a special treat for you today, Michael. We're going to share something from Dr. Christian Northrup. So, um, yeah. So do you want to describe what we're going to hear here? Well, it's, it's just, okay. She's being interviewed by, um, Janine, who's the tarot reader and we've been following her for, oh, I don't know, a year or so. Very, very accurate person, very fun, but Janine, in her own right, is uh, a truther. <clears throat> and this is the first time I've seen her inter <clears throat> excuse me, interview somebody else, you know, just do a flat-out interview. And she, so it's just two ladies in the same situation trying to fight for, you know, the world and humanity who just... Uh, they, it was just a nice conversation, and it's a feel-good conversation, even though they're talking about some of the bad stuff. So I clipped when Janine did a tarot reading for um, Dr. Northrop, but I just think you're going to enjoy it. It's just, you know, it's a feel-good thing. It's it's information that we all should, again, we keep, see, we've gotten to the point, really, Michael, where the stories are all coming together so it's almost difficult to find new information it's just new presentation of very much the same information just a little more detail here and a little more detail there so um it's just kind of a a nice little conversation i think people will enjoy and find informative 
All right. And so how long a, a, a piece is this? We'll be hearing this for a while. 30 minutes. Right. And then we have an update from uh, Dr. Reiner Fulmich about the grand jury presentation. Well, on. that, yeah, that one isn't so much an update. It was done in February. Um, now, the grand jury is simply a, it's not a within the concept of a country's legal justice system. It's a grand jury. It's people brought together to listen to a legal presentation of what they are presenting to the world um, is information that should be enough information for somebody to say, I think we should bring these people up on crimes against humanity. And so it was the opening statement to that grand jury. Uh, it's 18 minutes, but it's it, it's like he just, it's a legal presentation. And when you see it laid out, the whole, you know, standing back and looking at the broad game, it's uh, pretty in your face as to, you know, these people got to go. Okay. Uh, these, we know who those people are. They're the ones that keep telling us what to do. <laughs> right. So, Tell them what to do. Adios, out of here. <laughs> right. So when we say it's a presentation to a grand jury, it's not to a specific grand jury convened in a specific state. No, or no, no, no. It's a grand jury convened, but not under the auspices of a government. All right. Well, using the the foundation of a grand jury. The concept being that you go before regular people and a prosecutor presents the evidence that he has. Now, the defense can be there, but the, normally the defense isn't there because all you're doing is saying to the grand jury, is this enough information for you and to indict? You know, right. in order. And so that that's what it is. They, they, and the reason they're doing it, I think, Michael, is because they started to go through the courts and they did and they had some victories. But the one that really kind of shattered that illusion that they'd be able to do it was the German judge who found for them and went home. And the next thing he knows, he's being raided by the uh, German government and they took all his files, all his computers, everything and put him in a world of hurt because he had found for the case against humanity, you know, the, the people up there. Okay. So, you know, they went, this is not going to work. And I heard him talk about why they, they decided to go this way. Um, it's basically to get the information out there in, in a legal presentation. Well, not just that he's yeah, sitting there saying, well, sounds... I think, you know. So. Yeah, I mean, I, I uh, can understand the value of that. You know, as you know, I was involved for some years in a pretty formidable effort to set up a new international court of human rights that would be enforceable, that would have teeth, that would have jurisdiction, that would have due process at the highest levels of jurisprudence, and that, you know, could put convicted um, persons um, behind bars or, or seize assets, you know, that actually would have that. And, but... You know, Reiner Fulmick um, has put together, you know, a very compelling, robust presentation. And so if we're back to, you know, just it, it's about um, raising consciousness about this, raising awareness. OK, at some point, you know, awareness has to be sufficiently raised such that these people feel consequences. Because um, without consequences, 
nothing will, will change unless these people, unless impunity ends, that they'll just keep doing it. So, um, yeah, here's to the end of impunity and God bless Reiner Fulmick. But in the meantime, let's let's roll with Dr. Christian Northrup. You got it. And here we go. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Sending Ravens. And again, as promised, and a Taurus always does what they promise or they really try to. <laughs> I'm bringing Christine Northrup. And I'm not sure, Christine, did you prefer to be Dr. Northrup? No, it's actually Christian. It's a, a French name, Christian Northrup. Okay. Um, but you can call me uh, Dr. Northrup or Chris or whatever. Seriously, it doesn't matter. <laughs> well, we'll start with, we'll start all formal and we'll call you Dr. Northrup. And a lot of people I know that are following me follow you as well and likely know who you are and a lot about you. But for those who don't, would you mind uh, giving us a little brief on uh, just who you are? Yeah, a little brief. I'm uh, by trade, board certified OBGYN. I saw some things that were missing in the women's health field. So I wrote uh, a bunch of books. Three were New York Times bestsellers, The Wisdom of Menopause, Women's Bodies, Women's Wisdom, and Goddesses Never Age. I was on the Oprah Winfrey Show 10 times. I did eight highly successful public television specials. In 2013, Reader's Digest named me one of the 100 most trusted people in America. I've since then had a little dip in the mainstream media. Um, I've been on Rachel Ray and Dr. Oz and The, the View and NBC Nightly News and um, Oprah's, one of Oprah's Super Soul 100, uh, people using their voice to uplift humanity. And uh, this year, the Watkins Spiritual 100, I, I made the list again this year, and that's 100 living people who are inspiring wow. people around the world. So that's uh, that's who I am. I've delivered a lot of babies, done a lot of hysterectomies, a lot of C-sections. Yep. Uh, so that's that's me. But I just saw missing pieces that I thought were needed, just like with your tarot readings. You're reading the field. You're reading the quantum field. And that's the same with the with the physical body, is yep. that when we stay positive and we learn that the uh, neurotransmitters of the body work far better in a field of optimism and positivity, yep. that the other stuff is addictive, people get addicted to fear and depression and anger and anxiety. And that's why they go to the fear porn over and over and over again. So it's almost like uh, you got to just the same way you build muscles in the body by lifting heavier and heavier weights. You need to learn the skill, which you have perfected through your life of staying positive and then your life just gets better. But that's not the same as denying what's going on. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. But deniers, uh, absolutely. That's one, like some people even put me in that category, but it's not at all the, nope. the case. Nope. I'm seeing that, and I'm sure you are too. We're seeing what's wrong, but we're also realizing that we're co-creators in our uh, future by what we'll agree to. What do we agree to? Right? Yeah. So well, first of all, we agreed to be here at this time. So let's start there. I mean, if you're here, 
you are one stalwart soul or you wouldn't you wouldn't have been here at this particular time yeah. and don't you imagine i was once at a buddhist monastery in thailand and the old monk who was 90 he said the chance to be in a human body mm-hmm. is like one hair on an ox compared to all the hairs on an ox and i remember thinking oh it must be you know souls are just lined up around the block to come down and be in a human body yeah. so don't waste it yeah <laughs> Wow, I love that because um, when I was studying, I studied native medicine with a medicine man in the Haida Gwaii, and he we we went through this whole process. It took weeks and weeks, but long story short, uh, created the opportunity for me to leave consciously leave my body, and um, on it was on a new moon. We had, had planned for weeks and weeks, sort of ritually moving up to this and doing it consciously, and when I left. It was like I became the whole Milky Way. That makes any sense. So when people say there isn't a Milky Way, I'm going to have to disagree because I was there. And it was like my consciousness was spread across the whole universe, it felt like. And I knew everything. That was the feeling. But I didn't know anything in particular. And I wasn't attached to anything. And I didn't have an emotion about anything. And that's the part that I recognized. And I think the medicine man was trying to teach me that. And I was so excited to squish back into my body. I made a conscious effort to squish back into my what then kind of looked like almost a hologram. I moved myself consciously back into it. And I rolled on the ground for at least an hour in the pitch black. It was like I had night vision, though. And I felt everything and smelt everything and was touching the earth and almost like kissing the ground because it was so exciting to feel again. And that's maybe what souls love about, relish about being a human, even though it's hard here. And we find out where we've been enslaved and all these horrible things, but we've still had beautiful experiences here too. Oh, I love that. You know, Gene Decode tells that story about being literally being dead going out into the universe and realizing there was one thing that he didn't have to come back. But if he did, there was one thing that he could fix that would change eternity. And so he he came back and talked about that squishing himself into his body. And then when he opened his eyes, because he was already dead, his girlfriend was just like completely freaked out. She said those eyes the eyes were looking into eternity when yeah. you first came back into your yeah. body. Yeah. Wow. Interesting. Yeah. Wow. So uh, do you have an actual um, a, a practice anymore other than uh, all of the work you do out in the world for humanity? No, I don't because I realized that I could see maybe 20 people in a day yeah. or I could reach thousands maybe millions and that has indeed been been the case and also if you look at the constriction of practicing medicine with an md and a license within a state i have three uh colleagues who are losing their licenses in my state for doing the kind of things that i was doing for 30 years so it was kind of perfect that in 2015 my license came up for renewal and I said, I don't think I'm going to renew it. I'm Mm -hmm. kind of tired of the noose around my neck of the board of registration in medicine. And so I was, I was right about that. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. And uh, but be a lot sooner than that, you must have realized that there was something fishy about maybe the system. Oh, that, even oh. though you're working in it. Right. No, I knew that from before I went to medical school before because I had a, a brother who was born and would well, first of all, I had a sister who was born and wouldn't eat. My mother was on antibiotics the entire pregnancy. We all went to Florida for her to get over this viral pneumonia. My dad was a dentist, holistically oriented. His brother and sister were medical doctors, but she was on streptomycin every single day for that viral pneumonia, which we now know does not treat viral pneumonia. And baby was born. She wouldn't eat. She died in a pool of her vomit. And then my brother was born and he wouldn't eat. And no one knew why. And my parents signed him out of the hospital against medical advice. And he was tube fed every hour on the hour. Uh, And at a year old, he weighed 10 pounds and he was completely normal mentally. But the doctors told my mother that he would be mentally delayed, mentally defective. And they finally found a doctor who put a fiber optic light down his esophagus and said, take the tube out. It's irritating his esophagus. It's going to rupture. Let's just see what happens. Can you imagine? And he started to eat. And to this day, we have no idea what was wrong. But when I interviewed at uh, Buffalo Medical School, where I did not go, but I interviewed, and that was the doctor who was his attending physician. And he he looked at me and he remembered the name and you could tell that he thought my brother would be dead, Yeah, but he wasn't. And it was kind of like, yeah, and no thanks to you. Yeah. And then when I was interviewing in another medical school, my dad ended up in the coronary intensive care unit at Buffalo general with chest pain. And two days later, he calls my mother and he says, come and get me. They don't know what's going on. And so she goes in, she picks him up. He's He's got an infiltrated IV, meaning that the whole arm is swollen from fluid dripping into the interspaces, not in the veins. He had a fever. He walks out. The nurses are angry. He's got the chest leads dangling. And when I came home from interviewing at that point at Yale, he's sitting up in a chair with fluid two thirds of the way up in his lung fields because he couldn't lie down. He couldn't breathe. And he got well on his own. Because he had infectious pericarditis. He did not have a heart attack. So he was misdiagnosed. So you can imagine when I got to medical school, I remember I was ironing and I said to my mother, well, when I go, you know, I'll just try to find out why doctors won't talk to you. Why don't they tell you the truth? (laughs) And then I saw a baby born when I was in med school and, you know, nearly fell to the floor with I call it pain-filled joy, joy-filled pain, you know, when you're sort of moved to tears by something so beautiful. And that's why I went into that. So it, it's like I never expected I would write books or be a doctor or anything. Wow. And an MD was just a better degree than a PhD back at that wow. time. Yeah. So you spent, spent a lot of time helping people, women, sounds like. Oh, yeah. Uh, and around their reproductive, it sounds like. Yes, I think that the whole thing, Janine, really was just uh, my karmic um, healing of my relationship with my mother. <laughs> wow. Yeah, I mean, for us, though. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it's helped a lot of a lot of women. And again, though, but let's back it up. I really believe that this mother I chose was the one who would make me strong enough to do the work because she was into the outdoors, you know, and our family motto, don't ask for a lighter pack, ask for a stronger back. I mean, you know, she went to Mount Everest base camp at the age of 84. That's like 
a hundred miles straight up with no oxygen. Who does that stuff? She did. She did the Appalachian Trail when she was in her 70s with her best buddy who was an ex-nun in her 80s. I mean, she was kind of a a force of nature. And without that training uh, to keep going, I wouldn't I wouldn't have had the stamina to to do, you know, a surgical residency and uh, and then all the rest of this stuff, especially now, you know, with the attacks and so on. But it's kind of at this point, I've been uh, groomed for it for years because I was president of the American Holistic Medical Association in the 90s with Bernie Siegel and everything we were talking about the mind-body connection, vitamin C, vitamin D, everyone thought we were quacks for that. So, you know, so now we get into this particular situation and I could see it coming from a mile away, you know, oh, okay. That's the same old, same old. If it's natural, you can't patent it. Yeah. Therefore, you've got to make sure that everything natural sounds like quackery. Yes, yes. They did a great job of that. Didn't they? You got to yep. hand it to them. They they're they're very clever. They're not God though, so that's the deal. Yep. That's the that's a good thing. <laughs> yeah, right. Right. <laughs> Sounds like you did a lot of uh, rubbing shoulders, kind of, with some dark cult players. If you don't mind me pointing out Oprah, I mean, <laughs> oh my God! And then uh, I have a a women's supplement for uh, perimenopause called Amada Life, and Amada stands for Ageless in Thai. But the guy I worked with, I turns out had, you know, four different passports and probably worked for the Mossad. So, yeah, rubbing shoulders with some of the deep state dark cult, you can be sure that I did. And and I was so innocent about how that all worked. But that's why I finally wrote the book, (laughs) Dodging Energy Vampires, when I got it. Oh, that's what this is. So there's a bunch of us who are empathic and compassionate and spiritual, and and we can't even imagine how dark these these people that you know as you call it the deep state dark cult you can't even imagine how bad it is as if you're one of those old soul empaths like we are. So so this has been an opportunity for us to see, wow, how bad it is, and it's like whoa. Just missed a bullet on on that one. It's funny that you bring that up. That is that is true, man. All that, all that times, you know, on on Oprah. But man, that woman does good lighting on a TV show, yeah, right? <laughs> really good. She had a lot of help, though. She had a lot of help. Uh, you know, it's interesting to me. It feels to me like it's really necessary, though, for old souls to be uh, rubbing shoulders. Like think about uh, Donald Trump, for instance. Like yeah. he literally was brought up in a family that if you if you really look at the backgrounds, likely a, a one of those families that we call the, uh, I don't know, yeah. I can't say the words here, but you know, that, yeah. that was um, cult families, let's just say. He was, he was brought up in a family like that. He was placed there. So when I did a deep dive on it, it looked like he was placed there, but he was actually uh, somebody else's son, like could have even been General Patton's son, okay? <laughs> somebody he brings up a lot at his rallies. Um, and this is what we got. And also, he, he, it was all arranged by what we call the uh, alliance even you could even say the white hats way back they've been around for a long time and they placed 
him where he was placed. Like it's, there's all of this manipulation going on in the background. I believe that Oprah was also placed in the family she was in. And she's unfortunately was brought up in a one of those families and was likely altered. So she can be really good and appear really good, but actually, uh, you know, obviously uh, they can. What, what did you think of that big fall she had, that public fall right at the beginning of the whole? Oh, my. I'll never forget it. I I will never forget it. That was unbelievable to me. Unbelievable. And I think that there that there have been all these different signs. And that was one of those signs yeah. way, way back. I, you know, I remember the first time I was on her show with Women's Bodies, Women's Wisdom. Yeah. I remember thinking just watching the way she was with the camera, because what what people need to know is many times these deep state dark cult people, they're larger than life. They're incredibly charismatic. You often Mm -hmm. cannot take your eyes off them. And I thought she was just larger than life and astounding. But Mm -hmm. on the 10th time, my final time was at her ranch in Montecito. And I was on for Goddesses Never Aged, that book. This time, I remember, I'll never forget it. This time, she was a normal sized person and I had grown so that I was no longer going one down. I was absolutely rising up in my own power. And I don't mean power over, I mean, inner inner empowered so that I was not at all um, dazzled anymore at all. Yeah. Yeah. That's wonderful. And yeah. I think hum- humans in general are learning that this is like a huge lesson for humans. Take everybody off their pedestals, recognize how magical we are. Yes. Uh, like it's so fascinating, even for me to be sitting on a, a, a call with you. It's just fascinating to me. And I do feel I don't feel above or below. I just feel like a, uh, we would probably be great friends if we met in person. And while I hope we are, I hope that can happen. Uh, like, cause I've, uh, you know, put you a bit on a pedestal. I'll just be honest, but I'm learning. We all have, we're all bringing this magic to the, floor. that's exactly right. So that what's happening. So we've, we've all been groomed, haven't we, to yep. put all these celebrities mm-hmm. on a pedestal. And one of the things we found in the last two years is a lot of those celebrities you don't want to have anything to do with and so at this point what I tell people if someone is really good looking and really charismatic run the other way (laughs) (laughs) I hear you yeah and also there's a shallowness in their eyes yes you know what I mean like uh, you could just see it you know, because I'm sure there's a few out there that are really good looking and charismatic that might be good. Yeah, but they're going to have. Here's the deal, though, for me to spend any time or give them any attention, they're going to have to prove it. Yeah. Like if you're extra good looking as a guy, for instance. Yeah. I'm not going to give you you do you do not get any points for that because those people have gotten full service at self-service prices true. for the whole life. It's true. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, that's that pretty much describes Hollywood and what's been going on. And then, of course, we believe that a lot a lot of uh, people are starting to see psychic people, intuitive people are starting to see that, 
that, you know, these people are largely not at all who they present, and that includes the sex they present in. So it's like uh, right down to, you know, right from the get-go, they're not who you think they are. And either parading around, making a name for themselves as the world's most beautiful woman or the most, like I remember who was that with that big smile. Turns out is um, is a, is was a male at birth. Can't remember the actress, but had the most incredible smile. Oh, well, well, she's in a Pretty Woman. That yeah. one? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Likely a he. Okay. From birth. And then, of course, they have these ways that they, you know, uh, pretty much move them over. Yep. Yeah. But it's all part of the, those cabal families. Uh, I guess I said the word, but we can say it once maybe and get away with it. But it's all part of those families. And that's what they do. You know what I mean? They do, they have this ritual of changing. So you got your Brad Pitt could actually have been a female at birth. You know what I mean? It's like, what? So, yeah, we can't trust the Hollywood look. All of that polish is just not trustworthy. And we're all going to find out. Everyone's going to know. And we even think... Cliff High is saying, and I'm going to have to agree with them. I'm thinking even April could disclose Hollywood. And that'll be the start of that. just all the normies finally figuring this stuff out that we know. Well, Disney, we're starting to see that one. I was listening to Ann Vandersteel and Charlie Ward this morning, and they talked about the tunnels under Disney World where yeah. where children had disappeared. Yep. And um, so, you know, I mean, imagine. So Governor DeSantis just passes, a, helps pass a law that says we will not be teaching your children up to the third grade about sex, which yeah. is totally appropriate, totally yeah. appropriate. I don't want my grandchildren and I didn't want my own children being taught that in the school. I can take care of that. Yeah. Thank you very much. Yeah. And then the hue and the cry from the Hollywood Disney people. It's like, are you kidding me? Uh-huh. <laughs> like- it seems to me that when a child, here's what I thought as a parent, when a child starts asking about it, that's when they should know. Otherwise, don't, just leave them until they get curious themselves. And that seems to happen around, different for different kids, 10, 11, 12. Everybody's different, but definitely not grade three, you know what I mean? Or three years old, like, like they, all of the laws they've been sneaking by around children and things that happen in schools have been all towards making it easier for trafficking little ones. That's literally what they're, yeah. And getting away with, you know, uh, having that persuasion towards the tiny ones. And we have to be again, careful with the words here, but you guys know what I'm talking about, the P word that I can't say. And it's like, it's all about taking care of them because guess what? That's a huge part of their culture. Right. Yeah. 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 yeah that's been, so my whole, my whole life really has been about to awaken within women, their own maternal instinct so that they won't turn their children over to the medical industrial complex. Because we now have 79 mandated juices by the age of uh, 18 and 25 in the first year of life. And all you have to do is go on the CDC schedule to see that I'm not uh, I'm not making that up. Yeah, unbelievable. You know, and and you've been a mother. So, you know, can you imagine taking your child in first year of life for 25 shots? 
Unbelievable. When are you going to wake up to the fact that, isn't this funny, your body made a pancreas and it made a set of eyes and it made a brain all on its own. You didn't have big pharma helping you out with that. Your body just did that. You and God. And so you really think you need all these things to stay healthy? I don't think so. And that's where we're going as humanity. We're going in this direction of um, herbs and nature and our rights given to us by God, not by governments. So I think we're at the last gasp of the old order here. I really do. Yeah, I agree. And I'm looking so forward to getting on the other side. I know it's there's still some hardship to go through, but I think I think we're uh, we're really uh, largely there. Yeah. I really do. It's just that the pain's going to happen afterwards. Like a lot of people say, like it's all over, but the crying. So the crying will be people recognizing who don't know yet that 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 they have been giving their power over. The crying is going to be recognizing they've been uh, not listening to certain members of their family, even though those few members that were saying the truth were in fact the only ones that had it right. And uh, they had it all wrong. And that's going to be hard. It's going to be hard to recognize that they fell for that whole and boosters and everything else. And then they even, you know, maybe encouraged others in the family to get it. And uh, all the uh, things going to happen down the road because of that. And I, I know some of it can be healed. We talked about that on that show we had together. We did a two part with Catherine Edwards. Uh, do you want to recap that a tiny bit or just touch on it? Your opinion? Well, about- I'll tell you what I learned from that, which was very helpful to me. And that was about 20% will never get it. So they're in the MK Ultra. They're just going to be there. Yeah. And then, then the other part will be about 50% emotional, where people have to deal with what they fell for and they were tricked, yep. but that they shouldn't get out the flail. For too long you're going to be so you're going to have to deal with how bad this feels yeah. but you don't want to stay there overly long yeah and there are so it's 50 percent emotional 50 percent physical where people can be healed and i absolutely know that the human being as a fully uh made in the image of god can heal anything but you're going to have to get aligned with the god that comes through you as you and then you can you can heal anything. But as long as you're kind of addicted to the medical model that will yep. tell you, because right now I was just listening to a doctor this morning talking about the fact that the triple uh, people have lost 70% of their immunity, which means that they essentially have um, AIDS at this point. So, yep. but again, I knew people back in the 80s who reversed AIDS. And I tried to write about it in uh, one of the editions of Women's Bodies, Women's Wisdom. But my editor at Random House just went out of her mind. She said, no, no, this cannot happen. Remember, the gay community and HIV and all that was a very big deal in the 80s. And a lot of that was a psyop. Yeah. A lot of that was, uh, you know, just. The, oh, yeah. Yeah. So yeah. people need to realize same doll, different dress. but. Yeah. I hold out hope that those who, as you said, and you helped me with that, which is that they have to, they're going to have to have enormous self-forgiveness, self-compassion. Don't get out the flail overly long and beat yourself up. Because what I tell, I go around and I talk to groups and I say, look, if you've had this, you've been tricked. 
you have been tricked. So don't spend too much time on that. Let's move toward healing. Yep. Oh, yeah. I think that goes for most things like <laughs> work on. Yeah. Work on how you're approaching it. And self-love goes so far in good health. I mean, the basis of good health is going to be self-love and acceptance of self. Because there's we have in the physical bodies we choose, we have limitations. Everybody's got their little area that's hard. <laughs> yes. you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Like uh, my whole life's been my ears. I got like overproducing wax and I got weird things going on with my ear. You know, everybody has and like nobody's perfect. I'm really lucky in so many ways, though, being, um, you know, not having I've almost never spent any time in a hospital except uh, when I chose to, uh, you know, for a breast reduction, you know, that was a doctor said I should get that. And uh, it was somebody I really trusted. Turns out that person now in retrospect would have been really red pilled. Now I see the universe kept giving me like the best of, instead of uh, all those corrupt people in the industry, unfortunately, but then there's incredibly gifted people like yourself. And I would always get the gifted anybody ever dealt with any nurse, even, you know, and there's horror stories about nurses, but uh, some of my best experiences were with nurses. And by the way, let me just say, I never once had a patient who was unhappy with a breast reduction, not once. That's always been one of the most, people are so grateful for that. So you know, yeah. there's there's a lot of things that medicine does that people, you know, that's really good. Yeah. Anything orthopedic is usually really good. You know, yeah. the hip replacements and the knee yeah. replacements and all that. Yeah. You're right. And there is a really good place for the modern ways. Obviously, when you when you break a leg, et cetera, they can set it and get you right back. You can be walking in months uh, yeah. really well again. Like there's so many great things, but it's unfortunate that it got hijacked for this scheme of the dark cult. You know what I mean? It literally, they took over uh, at the top levels and, and hijacked uh, the whole medical system is going to look really bad going forward. Oh, yeah. yeah. I hope the whole thing just you know, it just needs to go away as we rebuild real yeah. health care. And we will. And we will. There's a lot of great people working on it right now. Well, I can't wait to meet you. I love Calgary. I watched 14 seasons of Heartland, which, <laughs> you know, filmed there. I just love everything about it. So we'll have to, when, when things yeah. calm down, you know, we'll have to make a field trip up to Calgary to the rodeo. You bet. <laughs> You okay. bet we will. I would love to meet you in person. And in the meantime, uh, I'm going to say goodbye. And on behalf of all my viewing audience, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your wisdom with us. Thank you. It's been a real pleasure. Thanks. Awesome. Okie dokie. Are you uh, back? I did we're back. Yeah. Well, well that was a treat. I yeah. thought you'd enjoy it. <laughs> yeah, uh, Christiane Northrup is a um, brave soul, uh, you know, just a, a wonderful being. And uh, I would love to see if we can't um, get an, you know, have her here on Radio 5G. I think it's actually doable. I think she'd, if I can connect with her personally again, uh, you know, this is what she does. Um, so we're working on that, folks. And, and, um, yeah, did you have, um, you know, particular response? They covered a lot of territory. Well, I was very taken with her 
discussion of Oprah and the change that occurred. You know, that she saw Oprah on a pedestal, but that she was empowered herself. Oprah turned out to be this small little person. The reality is what you think it is. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. In so many ways, that was demonstrated by that one little example. Yeah, and you know, that's something that um, because of my career in the theater, I have some experience with in terms of, you know, because um, most of my experience as an actor was on stage. Uh, I did some film work, but, you know, I lived in the theater, which is, you know, there's this magic that happens, okay, you get your call at half hour before, you know, like, you know, if you're on a actor's equity union contract, you know, you're required on a contract to show up at half hour, as we call it, 30 minutes before a curtain. And, uh, you know, the, the other people, this um, young woman who comes, you know, in from her car and she's um, frazzled and her hair is all askew and... Um, you know, but 30 minutes later, under lights, with her makeup and costume, she's Queen Guinevere of Camelot. And those out in the audience see her under lights and see her in her, you know, gorgeous queenly garments. And there's glamour. And a lot of it, you know, has to do with your innate being, you know, with your presence, which... Um, is then enhanced and elevated, you know, by what we'll call the theatrical arts, you know. And there's, that's not necessarily, you know, dark manipulation. That's just, hey, this is an art form. And, and this is how, you know, we enhance beauty for the purpose of telling an inspiring story. Um, and then, you know, and I've, rubbed shoulders, as Dr. Northrop was saying, with, you know, some people who ended up being pretty famous, winning Oscars, uh, or in one case, you know, winning a couple of Oscars before um, his, you know, career went went down in flames. Um, you know, we know who I'm talking about. Um, you know, with somebody I knew in school. Um, so, and I'm not talking about Will Smith, by the way, <laughs> so everybody knows, because uh, what, you know, Will Smith uh, slapping Chris Rock um, is an incredibly minor offense compared to what the person in question was um, uh, accused of doing. But anyway, um, so, you know, that alchemy, you might want to call it, you know, whereby um, someone ordinary, just like you and me, you know, you, um, you know, you've, they're on this pedestal and they have this glamorous aura about them. And you think, oh, humble little me, how marvelous it is that I have the great privilege of being in the presence of this godlike figure, you know. Um, but just another human being who just probably wants to be treated like a normal person, you know. Um, anyway, but yeah, that's... Um, how they get roped in, you know, I mean, um, you know, did Oprah Winfrey start out looking to become a, a, you know, dark cult propaganda figure? 
Well, probably not. You know, she was a talk show host. She was a local talk show host in Chicago in uh, the early 80s. You know, um, anyway. Yeah, but it's it's a fascinating question. Well, see, they did point that out that she was groomed as a child. That this that this is this is what you know. There's layers of you uncover. It's like an onion, and you uncover this thing, and you go, "Oh my God, that's terrible!" And then the next one goes, "You go, oh my God, that's even worse!" And it keeps getting worse and worse. And now we're into the level where we're understanding it's 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 unraveling. The story's unraveling of the. Um, complete control this is not just oprah that got caught into it this is a a being who is born out of a bloodline that is then nurtured and manipulated into becoming one of the pawns of the family yeah like much darker than you know you initially think when you're looking at it right and you know, I um, for anybody who's you know bothered to look at my homepage, michaelhenrydunn.com, um, you know, I, I share some of my story there. And um, I was already a working actor at um, you know about 21, 22 years old when I got a chance to go to the Juilliard School. And you know, I already had my union card. I'd already done a fair amount of work, but I managed to get in on the first, the final two years of their four-year program. And Juilliard, you know, is the prestige um, acting academy, as it is the prestige music academy in America. And it's located in the, you know, the palace of the performing art to New York City, Lincoln Center. It is, you know, sort of the epicenter of, um, you know, culture in America, New York City. It's the power center. And so, you know, the Juilliard School in the drama division you can bet fairly safely that when you talk about grooming the stars of tomorrow, you know, the whole concept was, okay, we're going to give a classical European Academy experience to American actors so that, you know, that, that our most talented young actors and actresses have classical training and are able to do justice to Shakespeare, et cetera. Right. Um, but, it's also, you know, when you talk about grooming from the um, C-word perspective, you know, the cabal perspective, um, I actually experienced that when I got there of how you are psychologically broken down over the course of those four years and then put back together. And not everybody can be put back together. And um, half of the students are cut from the program at the end of the second year. And so coming in on the third year, I escaped that and I saw some of the damage that had been done to my classmates and, you know, several of whom went on to become famous, etc. Um, but I witnessed it myself. I experienced um, how this subtle manipulation can start to happen. So, you know, I'm a little, you know, just again, as a as an entertainment industry professional for a lot of years and still am to some extent, you know, I I hear what she's saying when she says if somebody's really good looking and really charismatic, be suspicious. And the idea that they've gotten full service for self-service prices their whole life. Well, 
I mean, I, I had to be at least fairly good look, looking and somewhat charismatic to get as far in my theater career as I did. And I certainly wasn't getting, you know, full service value for self-service prices. So, um, but I get the point, you know, in terms of looking at the Hollywood machine with appropriate suspicion, because, you know, the agenda and the manipulation and the entrapment and the grooming, you know, this is what it is. I mean, I, I attend. Let me, let me ask you, can you give me examples of what you call psychological uh, breaking breakdowns that they, they, what are they doing to you that you see put is working against them uh, the people that you know they manipulate them what are you seeing what are some of the examples okay well um when i arrived at the juilliard school um they they admit into the school between 25 and 30 students per year that's the size of the the class and they're called groups so the very first group that was ever admitted to the school when they started the drama division in like 1969 um was called group one and then you know the next year is group two group three group four etc um and so at the end of the second year they cut a certain number of students to bring it down to a company of about 14 or 15 right and that these people are then groomed to be brought out into the profession at the end of their fourth year in a very you know high profile debut um where they are seen by all of the casting directors and agents in new york city and it's like okay these are the stars of tomorrow and you may now compete to represent them Right. And um, but what happens at the end of that second year can be pretty brutal. And because I was spared that and I was admitted to what was called the advanced program, which they admit only two students to. So it was like, you know, any actor in America would have given his right arm for the opportunity I was given. And those fellow students of mine um who had already gone through the first two years had been devastated psychologically um and they were just sharing with me you know it was like hey we've lost some of our best people and not because they got cut but some of them just said this is freaking crazy i'm out of here out of the juilliard school you know that is such a like still a magical prestige name like oh you went to juilliard well you know and you get either mocked for it or held in inappropriate awe or whatever but um the acting coach that they had had in their second year um ended up being on the most wanted list of a task force that was created to um find and expose sexually manipulative acting coaches in new york city and so he was um sleeping with both the boys and the girls and was you know just playing on people's psychological vulnerabilities keeping them insecure keeping them feeling like, like you know well i don't know dear i mean that flaw in your cheekbones you know hmm well, it's, you know, you don't really quite have the model look that, oh, say, Sally over there has. Mm, well, you know, the, the, this may sound like 
no big deal. But when you are putting your your life, your psyche in the hands of someone like that, and that, that's another thing where acting classes, particularly theater games, you know, improvisational games can cross the line into abusive pseudotherapy in the hands of a manipulative, unethical acting coach. And it is an ideal place in which to just mess with people's minds if you have the skills and the agenda to do so. And, you know, there's there's an example I was told by some of my fellow students there. This is, okay, I, I'm going to, we're running up to the end of the hour. I'm going to try to make this short, but it's pretty illustrative. This answers your question. Give me a few minutes here, Nancy. We're good? Nancy. Yes, let's go. Yeah. Yes, go. I'm just right. fascinated. Well, end of the second year. So you got to understand, these students... They have been told that Juilliard is the Mecca, it is the Holy Grail, it is, you know, if you graduate from this school, your stellar career is assured, right? If you make the cut into the third year, into the acting company of the third year of the 14 or 15 students who will be in the acting company. If you are cut at the end of the second year, it's like, well, at least, you know, you've got the classical training, you had the speech and voice, you know, some of the great teachers in America, and you got to say you went to the Juilliard School, but you didn't quite measure up. So off you go. You don't get presented to the acting, to, to the casting directors and agents, but off you go. You're being expelled. You're cut, right? So as the, the second year nears its end, all these you know, young men and women are thinking, okay, here it comes. I can I can still make it. What do I got to do? How do I prove myself? How do I make the cut? What do I, you know, is there, you know, and back then the the person who was in charge of um, speech and voice training had, had been hired away from the Royal Academy of Dramatic Art in London, and she had a great deal of influence on who was cut and who was not. So <clears throat> it reaches the final acting class of the second year. And everybody knows the cuts have been made, but nobody knows what they are, all right? So the students are like there, like, well, maybe the cuts haven't been made. Maybe this is the final test. Maybe I can still make it, all right? Their hearts are in their throats, these kids, because they believe, you know, their entire destiny as artists is dependent on whether or not they are accepted into the final two years of the Great Juilliard School. So this particular acting coach in question here, who shall remain nameless, says, okay, kids, well, welcome to the final class. We're going to do a little improvisation. So let's do an improvisation, and we're going to pretend that we are all together at the fifth year reunion of this group's graduating class. In other words, you made it into the third and fourth year, then you graduated, it's five years later, and you're all getting back together, and you're reflecting and sharing with each other on the kind of careers you've had and lessons you've learned after five years after graduating from the Juilliard Drama Division. So a lot of these guys are like, oh, this is it, this is like the final test. I can like, you know, 
prove myself. I can make the cut. I can, you know, make the run to glory if I just do this right. So they say, go. And the kids start acting their little hearts out, you know, improv here. Oh, yes, I've had this wonderful career. Oh, it was so wonderful to be in the third and fourth years. So as the improvisation is going on, this guy, this acting coach, one by one, he taps certain people on the shoulder without stopping the improvisation and says, you go off to the side, you go off to the side, you go off to the side. One by one, he removes the kids who are being cut and sends them over to the side. And they don't know. And meanwhile, the other kids are going, oh, wait a minute, where's Bill? Uh, where's Sally? What, you know, they're still acting their little hearts out. And when all the kids who've been cut have been tapped on the shoulder and told to go over to the corner of the room, this guy stops the improvisation and he says to all, you know, the 14 kids remaining in the center, he says, this is the graduating class and the rest of you are cut. I mean, when I was told that story, <laughs> I mean, I was like, what have I let myself in for? And I look around at my fellow students in the third year right and think holy smokes you guys survived that emotionally psychologically um so in terms of like you know breaking down your ego and i mean breaking down the ego on a spiritual level that's a different thing you know but given what i know you know about some of the subsequent history of some of the people i went to school with um that's just an example of outright abuse by someone who was you know later identified as well on the most wanted list of a task force to nail sexually abusive acting coaches. So now, but that said, hey, there are some wonderful teachers at the Juilliard School. I gained a lot there, you know, I mean, their speech and movement and, and voice teachers are the best in the world, wonderful acting coaches, you know. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm an actor, I'm an artist, I love the theater, you know, I'm, a, I'm not gonna say it's, you know, don't get the idea that it's just some, you know, satanic finishing school. It's a it's a great theater school, and it is right in line with the agenda and manipulative practices that we know are in place at those elite levels. So, anyway, that's my my story. I hope that answers your question. Yes, it certainly does. That's fascinating. Yeah. Uh, I, I did. I, I mean, the numbers that you were giving so so few. I never realized that there were so few that went through that school because yeah. you hear them. Audition twelve hundred around the country. Twelve hundred kids audition. They admit twenty five. They admit twenty five to thirty, and then they graduate fourteen or fifteen. That's what they used to do. I don't know if they might have changed. And then they admitted two kids a year into the advanced program who got to skip the first two years, and that was me and a friend of mine as it turned out while he became my friend wherever you are greg mortensen god bless you anyway well that yeah. was uh it was an interesting uh i mean i've known you for quite a long time and we've I've, i didn't even realize that you had gone to the school oh yeah <laughs> it's never it never came up i mean if i'd read it i probably wouldn't have paid too much attention to it. I yeah, I was in the, Val Kilmer was in my class. Uh, Linda Kozlowski, who played Crocodile Dundee's girlfriend, was in my class. Uh, Kevin Spacey was in the class behind me. You know, a lot, lot of um, people graduate. We've all heard of from there. Huh. Well, interesting.
So, um, did you enjoy listening to uh, the doctor? Oh yeah, yeah. And I'm going. I just reached out to her this morning, and I'm hoping we get to talk to her ourselves. That'd yeah, be fun. Be fun. Okay, so we're at the top of the hour here. I'm going to play um, Shanghai We the People. That's about the only thing I'm playing now because I really think that uh, we've got to get more Shanghai out. <laughs> oh yeah. So uh, three minutes. We'll be right back. Okay. And we are back. All right. Welcome back to Radio 5G, everybody. Michael Henry Dunn and Nancy Hopkins. And now we're going to move on. Unless we have anything else we need to 
say about Dr. Christiane Northrup? No, we uh, I think we covered that. Okay, so for those people that might, you know, be just getting into the show, this is um, Radio 5G. It is the 5th of, uh, 4th, excuse me, the 4th of May, 2022. And right, it's the, a Star Wars day. It's Star Wars day. Why is it Star yeah, Wars? Because it's May the 4th be with you. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> you never heard that? No. But they may, it's May the 4th be with you. <laughs> Oh, that is too strange. <laughs> yeah. No, it is. It's a big thing. People, people you look, look on Facebook, everybody's going, may the fourth be with you. Um, anyway, forgive me for interrupting with that goofy comment, rolling right along. No. <laughs> um, okay, so again, what we're going to play now is an 18-minute presentation by Dr. Uh, Reiner Fulmich, who's a very successful legal uh, a lawyer in Germany. And when the pandemic started occurring, he and his wife were like, what, what is this all about? It, it, there were so many things that didn't make sense. You know, I mean, the, the loss of freedoms all over the world, the breaking of, 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 of constitutions, it was just like, from a lawyer's standpoint, something is going really haywire. So he came out of retirement, semi-retirement, and got a group of people together that began to interview doctors, interview people that knew about the testing equipment, interviewing all sorts of professional uh, who would be considered in a court of law authorities, and their testimony would, would you know carry a lot of weight. They started to interview them and more like, uh, you know, a legal briefing here. We're go we want to know the truth here. So they got all that information together. And when they attempted to present it into uh, uh, the German courts, uh, the judge found, yes, OK. But then the judge got into trouble with the governments and they all threw up their hands and say, what are we going to do? I mean, there were other countries being uh you know, presented with different lawyers presenting cases, specifically a lot to do with the mandates, the loss of freedoms and, you know, that sort of thing and the forcing of anything. So they did have some wins, but again, it was going so slow that by the time you won, you, you might not, it might be all over anyway, you know. So they decided to convene a, a group of people to present the legal information that they would like to present to a, a governmental functioning jury system of, of a grand jury. But, you know, that wasn't the opportunity they were given. So they decided that the grand jury was essentially the world. And they began to present a legal case um, online and film it. And um, I'm having, you know, like, the, now the information is sort of getting out like I, I this was the first time I'd seen his his opening statement. So it's like the lawyer going before the the uh, jury and saying, OK, this is what I'm going to present to you. And at the end of it, you're, you're going to indict all of these people who have done crimes against humanity that you would vote to indict which means you there's enough evidence that you would say, gosh, I think these people are guilty. So 
this is his opening statement and um let me see it's 18 minutes long um it's a little drabby but legal you know type of stuff but it gives you such an oversight as to all of the factors that are illegal immoral and you know the things we're fighting against so you ready Michael? yeah this this was from february this is just february yes this was uh done in february this year we when it was the first presentation at the grand jury okay let's hear it all right Good afternoon. My name is Rainer Füllmich, and it is my pleasure to serve as one member of a group of distinguished international attorneys and lawyers who have been collaborating on this very important case for many months now. This case involving the most heinous crimes against humanity committed under the guise of a corona pandemic on a global scale looks complicated only at first glance. But when you put together all those pieces, all those little pieces of the puzzle, as we will do this for you with the help of many renowned experts and other witnesses during this proceeding, you will see four sets of facts. One, there is no corona pandemic, but only a PCR test pandemic, fueled by an elaborate psychological operation designed to create a constant state of panic among the world's population. This agenda has been long planned. It's ultimately unsuccessful. Precursor was the swine flu some 12 years ago. And it was cooked up by a group of super rich, psychopathic and sociopathic people who hate and fear people at the same time, have no empathy and are driven by the desire to gain full control over all of us, the people of the world. They are using our governments and the mainstream media, both of which they literally own, to convey their panic propaganda 24-7. Two, the virus itself can be treated safely and effectively with vitamin C, D, zinc, etc., and also with off-label use of ivermectin, hydroxychloroquine, etc. But all these not alternative methods of treatment, but real methods of treatment were banned by those who are using the guise of this pandemic to push their ultimate goal, which is to get everyone to receive the, as we will show in this proceeding, not only ineffective, but highly dangerous, yes, lethal experimental injections. Three, the same people who made the swine flu, which ultimately turned out to be a mild flu, into a pandemic 12 years ago by first changing the definition of what a pandemic is and then creating panic, created this corona pandemic. The swine flu was their first real attempt at creating a pandemic. And just as one of its purposes then was to divert our attention from the blatantly fraudulent activities of their financial industry, more aptly to be called a financial mafia, which had become visible through the Lehman crisis, <laughs> this is also of one of their major purposes of, of this corona pandemic now. Had we taken a closer look then during the Lehman crisis, instead of blindly believing our governments, uh, government's promises that the perpetrators of those financial crimes will be held, held liable, we would have seen th uh, then that they had been looting and plundering our public coffers for decades. And we would have seen that our governments are not our governments anymore. Rather, they have been taken over 
by the other side through their main platform, the World Economic Forum, which had started to create their own global leaders through their Young Global Leaders Program as early as 1992, two of the first graduates being Angela Merkel and Bill Gates. And we would have understood already then what we will show you now through this proceeding. These financial crimes went unchallenged by our politicians because they're aiding and abetting those who commit them and profiting from these crimes. Four, ultimately, however, we will show to you, the jury, that the other side's main purpose is to gain full and complete control over all of us. This involves the finalization of their looting and plundering by deliberately destroying our small and medium-sized businesses, retail businesses, hotel and restaurants, so that platforms such as Amazon can take over. And this involves population control, which in their view requires both a massive reduction of the population and manipulating the DNA of the remaining population with the help, for example, of mRNA experimental injections. But it also requires, in their view, the deliberate destruction of democracy, of the rule of law, and of our constitutions through chaos, so that ultimately we will agree to losing our national and cultural identities and instead will accept a one-world government under the UN, which is now under the full control of them and their World Economic Forum, a digital passport through which each and every move is monitored and controlled, and one digital currency, which we will only be able to receive from one World Bank, theirs, of course. At the conclusion of the case, and after you have heard all the evidence, we are confident that you will recommend indictments against all six putative figurehead defendants, Christian Drosten of Germany, Anthony Fauci, the United States, Tedros of the World Health Organization, Bill Gates, BlackRock and Pfizer. Ladies and gentlemen, this case is about a long planned agenda of a group of ultra rich people and their financial mafia based in the city of London and on Wall Street to use a pseudo pandemic as the guise behind which, while our attention is on the pandemic, they want to complete their decades long efforts to gain full and complete control over all of us. There are numerous platforms on which this group has been meeting and discussing this agenda, but the most important one is that of the World Economic Forum, which was invented in 1971 by a then 33-year-old Klaus Schwab. Its members are a thousand global corporations with at least 5 billion US dollars in annual sales, politicians, media representatives, scientists, and other so-called high-profile personality. They meet once a year in Davos, but there are other such meetings, for example, in China. And since 1992, they have created and presented to us their own group of political leaders for the world. Among the first graduates, as I mentioned before, are Angela Merkel and Bill Gates in 1992. Others are Sebastian Kurz, up until recently Chancellor of Austria, Justin Trudeau, Prime Minister of Canada, Jacinda Ardern, Prime Minister of New Zealand, François Macron, President of France, and many, many more. This group, 
which is now called the Davos clique, is openly, the publication The Great Reset by Klaus Schwab is one of the most important sources for this information, promoting the shifting of the world's assets to this group of super rich people so that in 2030, ordinary people will owe nothing and be happy, as it explicitly states there, under their one world government with a digital currency given to us by their one world bank. And they're also openly promoting in close cooperation with people like the putative defendant Bill Gates, the Rockefellers and others, the drastic reduction of the world's population and the manipulation of the remaining population's DNA all the way into transhumanism. Their most important goal is, however, the controlled... By them, of course, implosion of the completely looted financial system and simultaneous introduction of a digital currency issued by one world bank controlled by them. And just as important, the introduction of a world government under the UN, which has come under their full control in 2019. For this purpose, they have made concrete plans for this corona pandemic since at least the spring of 2001. Operation Dark Winter, followed by another such rehearsal, the lockstep exercise by the Rockefeller Foundation in 2010, and finally, Event 201 in October of 2019 in New York. After our opening statements, we will start off in a week from now by calling former members, a member of the U.S. military, James Bush, who participated in Operation Dark Winter in 2001, former members of the British intelligence services, Brian Garish and Alex Thompson, and investigative journalists Whitney Webb and Matthew Arrett, former World Health Organization employees and advisors, Dr. Sylvia Behrendt and Dr. Astrid Stuckelberger. They will explain to us the historical and geopolitical background of what we are confronted with. And they will show to us how this agenda has been planned for at least 20 years, start, starting with Operation Dark Winter in 2001. Um, and some 10 years uh, later, the lockstep scenario by the Rockefeller Foundation, ending with the dress rehearsal, Event 201, in October of 2019. And the end, they will explain how when there were no cases which they needed to declare a public health emergency of international concern, they created them by having defendant Drosten invent the story of asymptomatic infections which don't exist and how this PCR test can detect through mass screening of perfectly healthy people, those who are infected, a lie as we will show. We will continue with the next group of witnesses Dr. Wolfgang Wodak, an experienced lung specialist and former member of the German Bundestag and the Council of Europe, who managed to expose the other side's first attempt at a pandemic, the swine flu of 12 years ago, as a mild flu. Professor Ulrike Kemmerer, biologist from Würzburg University. Dr. Mike Yeden, former vice president of Pfizer. Dr. Sylvia Behrendt. Dr. Astrid Stuckelberger, Professor Dolores Cahill of Dub Dublin University, Professor Antonietta Gatti from Italy, Professor Berkholz from Germany. These experts will explain to us what is behind the legend of the Wuhan wet market outbreak.
They will show that the virus is no more dangerous than the common flu. The PCR test cannot tell us anything about infections, but is the only basis for all anti-corona measures, including the ultimate measure, the so-called vaccines, and the so-called vaccines are not only ineffective, but extremely dangerous. Regardless of the natural or man-made origin of the virus, our immune system is perfectly well capable of dealing with the virus, as evidenced by an infection fatality rate of between 0.14 and 0.15 or even less percent. There was no excess mortality anywhere until the experimental injections started. There were not even any cases in early 2020. However, they needed cases in order to declare a public health emergency of international concern, as this was the only basis on which it would be possible, according to their own made-up rules, which all governments of the member states of the World Health Organization had agreed to, to use untested new drugs, experimental injections, on people. After a first failed attempt at announcing this public health emergency of international concern, because there were no cases, they tried again in late January of 2020 after they had created cases with the help of that now infamous Drosten PCR test and announced this public health emergency of international concern two weeks later. We will hear from these experts that these cases were almost all false positive test results, nothing else. The next group of experts are Dr. Thomas Binder from Switzerland, Dr. Brian Artis from Texas, Dr. Shankara Chetty from South Africa, and Dr. Wolfgang Wodart from Germany, and John O'Looney, undertaker from England. These experts will tell us how right from the start we were witnessing a deliberate, completely senseless banning of normal, effective, and safe methods of treatment of respiratory diseases, and instead a mandate of treatments that must now be considered serious medical malpractice. Intubation, remdesivir, medezolam. John O'Looney will explain how he first, believing the other side's allegations about a pandemic, even helped the BBC in pushing their panic propaganda until he realized how under the guise of the pandemic, people were intentionally being killed. We will then call the next group of experts, including Professor Alexandra Orion-Code from France, Dr. Mike Yeden, Professor Sucherit Bakti from Germany, Professor Luc Montagnier from France, Dr. Vanessa Schmidt-Krüger from Germany, Dr. Robert Malone, inventor of the mRNA vaccine technique um, from the US, and Professor Anne Burkhardt, pathologist from Germany. They will show us that while the virus did not cause any excess mortality, it has a survival rate of 99.97%, the shots are now killing people and have been causing excess mortality of up to 40% since September as a result of a poisoning with the spike protein and of shutting off our immune system. Dr. Mike Yeadon will tell us how a group of scientists has even found concrete evidence that the makers of the vaccines are experimenting with lethal dosages to see how the lethal side effects can be manipulated in such a way that the population will not immediately understand what is happening. The next group of experts will explain to us how it could have come to this. This, this group includes Professor Matthias Desmond from Belgium, Dr. Ariane Billeran from France, Dr. Meredith Miller from the US, 
Professor Harald Wallach from Germany and Stefan Kohn, employee of the German Department of the Interior. These experts will walk us through how the other side, after having established the public health emergency of international concern, in quick succession introduced us to the lockdown, the nonsensical and dangerous mask mandates, and the very harmful, both physically and psychologically, social distancing, until they, they arrived at their ultimate goal, the ineffective and dangerous, even lethal, injections. And they will explain to us in detail how our acquiescence to all this was made possible through a gigantic psychological operation whose panic message we kept receiving through the mainstream medias and our politicians, both owned by the other side, relentless propaganda. The next group of experts includes Leslie Manukian, a former investment banker from the US, Naomi Wolf, journalist and author from the US, Ernst Wolf, a German economist, Professor Christian Kreis, German economist, Professor Holger Recko, a German economist, and Markus Kral, a German economist. This part of the proceeding will have these experts explain to us in great detail about the intentional destruction of our economies and how the other side is working on a controlled crash of the financial system to both get away with the crimes that they have already committed over the past decade, uh, decades looting and plundering our public coffers until there's nothing left and to introduce a one world bank and digital currency plus digital passport. The final group of experts include Matthew Eret, an investigative journalist from Canada, Vera Sharaf, a Holocaust survivor, Ilana Rachel Daniel from Israel, Rabbi Smith from New York, Patrick Wood, an expert on technocracy from the US, Avital Livni from Israel. This final part of the investigation will have these experts tell us how an important part of the other science agenda has to do with population control, or rather eugenics. After World War II, eugenics had a bad name, Julian Huxley, who founded the UNESCO said. But he and the very large group of people who supported the idea of eugenics would soon be able to continue with their efforts in this direction, he openly explained. The parallels between what happened then, 80 years ago, and what is happening now shall not be ignored. Vera Sharaf will remind us of this. After you have heard all the evidence, we have no doubt that you will recommend indictments against all our putative defendants for crimes against humanity. Thank you. So, that was an overview. Are you there, Michael? Muted? Michael? Hello there. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, that kind of says it. My goodness. Well. God bless well, him. What's it, uh, you. Well, know, what's impressive is the, is the uh, list of people that are the witnesses you know i mean those people some of the names we know dr wood you know he's the one that was uh talking about the 5g remember we had him right in the first year we did the show right yeah robert wood and he was he was the guy who 
put out the concept. He said, he said, my greatest fear is that the psychological control mechanism of 5G will be so successful that before we even understand it, we're going to be all brain dead. Right. I remember that. Remember yeah. that? And, you know, it's like you can you can hear that you can semi understand that but what we're seeing in many ways are the, is that people have been acting like they're brain dead you know that, that they can't seem to reason and rationally look at things and say this doesn't make any sense yeah exactly it, yeah that's, so, that's one of the things as i was listening to it i was thinking about people i know if they were listening to this and thinking, okay, here's a list. Testifying to this aspect is Dr. So-and-so from this university in this country, this, you know, former president of Pfizer, former, you know, associate, whatever, VP of Pfizer, this, you know, distinguished physician there, and testifying to this section is in on and on and on. And they're going, all right, so the person, the, the, you know, the brainwashed person going, okay, well, well, that person, that professor must, you know, must have be a, a brainless conspiracy theorist. Okay, well, this board certified expert, well, he must be a, a brainwashed conspiracy theorist. And it goes on and on and on and on and on across all this. Gosh, there sure are a lot of brainwashed conspiracy theorists in the world who are all buying this story. <laughs> well, I mean, just because just because we're conspiracy theorists doesn't make us wrong. Well, I know. I mean, I, <laughs> you know, I mean, that's the thing is that why are so many people talking the same story? Because the truth is winning out, you know, yeah. but some people just don't hear it. And it's like they are brainwashed. Um, you know, the they, they, they give you different statistics as to, you know, how many people are really lost. And there's at least 20 percent of them that I they, they, I don't know that they'll ever understand it. Yeah. You know, they're just gone. Um, and then they'll tell, talk about, you know, somewhere around 40% are kind of, they could be, they, they could be persuaded if they could sit down and listen to the, to the facts. And then you've got the, you know, the rest of us who are in one way or another not buying into the story. So it doesn't take long before you got, and you know, the other thing that's coming out, Michael, is that if you listen to mainstream media, they're talking about up to 90%, depends on the station, 90% of the people have been, um, have to add the inoculations. And in fact, the, what I'm hearing now is no, it's like less than 50% of the population has actually done it. Oh, Really? Yeah, I don't need, I mean, again, you don't know who's right or who's wrong, but it's not cut in stone that, you know, we're, that so many people are walking around with the, with the inoculations. And then there's a lot of people coming out with a um, concept that the initial, especially the initial uh, batch, batches, that a lot of it was um, saline because in effect, you are having a live experiment to see, you know, what's going to happen. And so they were using different batches to see what configuration of the stuff was getting the the 
response that they wanted in the population. And, you know, I mean, if you look at the CDC's own records in the uh, Beers report, uh, you know, the adverse reactions, and you really take a study of it, you'll find out that there was only uh, a limited number of the batches of the of the uh, inoculations that were causing the side effects. So, you know, it, it may be that they, because they really were doing a crapshoot and didn't want to kill off everybody too fast because then everybody would stop and say, what the hell is happening? You know, yeah. that they were doing it in steps. So it's really seeming to be the um, the booster shots that are the the kill shot. Yeah, it's like the Walgreens thing, you know, the Walgreens statistics and Walgreens just does tests. Hey, we're, you know, we're testing. And then, that you know, you add up the statistics and they go, oh, well, isn't it strange that of the tests we give out? And of course, people let us know they're required. Have you already been vaccinated? Have you received your booster shots? That there's very consistent higher rates of COVID infection among people who have the booster. <laughs> now, the exact opposite of the intended effect, you know, is uh, is being demonstrated by Walgreens. You know, the, the statistics of testing is just like, oh, well, we found that if you get the booster, you're more likely to get COVID. So, <laughs> did, where did you where did you pick that up? It probably wasn't on mainstream media. No. You know? Oh, that's for sure. Yeah, um, it's available. I'll, I'll find it. The the, the data. I, I was li- I I went through so many different um, audio tapes uh, concerning you know trying to get something together today, and one of them was Robert Kennedy's most recent that I know of um, interview, and he was talking about. Uh, no, wait a minute. No, the the one I I listened to a couple of his, but the one I'm referencing was actually done right after um, his book came out um, about Fauci. And the question asked of him was, well, has Fauci sued you? Is, is, there, is he intending to sue you? And, and of course, Robert Kennedy is a lawyer. And he said, well, to sue somebody, it has to be liable. And you have to be able to prove that what I said was not true. And no, nobody has taken legal action against me. So I guess we know the truth. Yeah. Yeah, that's, uh, that's a pretty clear uh, indicator. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because, you know, he is so meticulous and so careful. And, you know, he just knows that if they were to, um, you know, that it would be their own doom and exposure if they were to try to sue him for libel. You know, it's like a famous case of uh, famous playwright Oscar Wilde, you know, in in, uh, Victorian Britain. He was accused of being homosexual, but, you know, there, there was this nobleman who said, you know, seduced my son. And um, and Oscar Wilde wanted to protect his reputation. It was true, you know, but he wanted to protect his reputation. So he sued the guy for libel. And then it, the, the court had to conclude, well, sorry, Mr. Wilde, um, there seems to be substantial evidence that the nobleman's accusation is true. And as a result, he, you know, was found in violation of the, you know, anti-sodomy laws that they still had on the books, but didn't bother 
to prosecute, but then they had to prosecute him because it had, he had brought it out himself in court by suing for libel on something that was in fact true. You know, so it's like Fauci cannot afford to, to sue RFK Jr. because a court, you know, would be forced to conclude, well, it's actually true. Then, oh, the prosecutor has concluded that it's true. That means I got to, but you know, prosecute for the violation. The, um, the the concept of this this Fauci book is that Fauci has done so many illegal things, and again, it was Robert Kennedy's he's, as a lawyer presenting it as legal documentation. So I can't remember the the numbers, but he's got references up the gahuza for everything that he says. He's got a lot of information that's from Fauci's own records. So, uh, you know, I mean, he's already set set it out, the book itself, um, as a legal document. So yeah, if they can exactly. dispute that legal document, you know, in a, they, they, they know. I mean, he, he it was a brilliant way of presenting it, you know? Yeah, so I'm, I'm interested just to think, what do you think is the forward path here? Okay, so now we've got Reiner Fulmich going around the U.S., um, making these presentations, presumably in you know some kind of public forum. I know what he rents a hall, puts out ads, people come. You know, um, public awareness builds on this. I mean, what's what's the end game? What is the what is the path forward? What is supposed to happen as a result of that? Okay, so the the court now is the world we're talking about, right? Because the real courts are, are corrupt. Or, you know, a, a, an honest judge you know, gets, you know, all of his laptops seized because he found, you know, for the evidence on this. So what's the forward path? How does how does this ultimately, I mean, get, on the level of pure information sharing, it's fantastic because it's so formidable and so compelling. And all these experts are so clearly, you know, sane, honest experts. What's the forward path? You know, how how is it how do we finally tip the scales? What's the turning point in, in your view, Nancy? Well, I think we've already seen this happen before in the breakdown of the Warsaw Pact and the Soviet Union, because it was not any internal revolutionary organization that took down country after country. It was information. And I've told this story. It was really the fax machine that did that, because in the communist world, you know, the world behind the Iron Curtain, every printer, everything that, you know, remember we're talking about, you know, before all the technology we have here. So just, you know, you, you had your basic printers, your typewriter, everything that could be used to print out information was, you had to have a license for it. So what happened was the fax machine came along and now you've got the beginning of technology and the technology is allowing you to send a document from your your desk to a do- to a desk somewhere else a document. What they didn't comprehend was it wasn't like a telephone. This is a printer because on the other end they can say okay I want another copy another copy another copy and you've got a printer. And they missed it. That one little loophole of totalitarian control over the population missed that. 
So all of a sudden, these um, kind of like uh, briefings, like like you know the opening statement he just made, are in paper form and can be passed around. This is before the internet. Okay, they could be passed around to people, and the, the I remember this this one statement that came from all of this was that this one guy said, "When I found out that only ten percent of the population were the Communist Party, he said, "What the hell we've been doing?" And they woke up, and that's what I think yeah. that we're we're seeing is that th- they are understanding because it's not just the the Okay, this is the um, grand jury of public uh, opinion. Okay, that's what the grand jury is that he's working with. But you also have the Durham is in a grand jury. The Hunter uh, laptop is in a grand jury situation. And these grand juries are very interesting because they're really kind of like sitting outside the door of the Justice Department. And they're just ways of presenting evidence, the evidence that you need to indict. So there's there's something more to this grand jury. Maybe they're seeing the grand jury concept um, as being the real guts of how to make fix the law system. And you know more about it because you work so hard in it. Right. Yeah. Well, you know. This brings us up to the you know sealed indictments thing. Hundred hundred thousand, hundred twenty thousand, no, it's hundred and fifty thousand sealed indictments. We heard about them for years. They're gonna be brought forward, they're gonna be prosecuted, they're gonna be sprung, the bad guys are gonna be taken down. There's a record of the hundred and fifty thousand sealed indictments, and they're very carefully working their way up, you know, from the bottom to the top to get people to uh, you know to testify against the overlords and on and on it went. And uh, where is that legend, that myth, you know? Um, I don't want to be cynical about it as being just a psyop all along. But, you know, what I love about this is that um, at least this is, you know, demonstrably out there, real, being shared, um, that as you say, at, at at some point, the tipping point is reached where there's a wake up. You know, there's there's a, a, a critical mass of of people who, you know, reluctantly, in a lot of cases, I'm sure, you know, people who already got shots or people whose children were harmed, who realize um, that yes, as unbelievable as it sounds, because I can just, you know, as I was listening to him, I could just. Pick out the places in his sharing where people I know listening, people who are refusing to look at the story, where they would just check out and would just go, oh, depopulation agenda. Yeah, right. The Bilderbergers want to kill half the planet. Excuse me. I have an appointment back on planet Earth. I'll, I'll see you later. And they would leave. They would turn it off. Because of a, you know, as we know, it's the, um, oh, well, what do you call it, Nancy? We say it all the time. It is the cognitive dissonance, you know, where they just cannot take it in, will not take it in, because to do so, their worldview would be destroyed and they would have to deal with it. 
and they just go, oh, okay. No, I don't even listen to that stuff. Depopulation. That's the, that's the 20%. That's the 20% that can't buy into it at all. And, uh, you know, to me, I just wrote them off because they're not even players. You know, they, right. And we, and we don't need them in order. I mean, for, we don't need them for the revolution. No, no. And that's they, the thing we need to remember. Yeah. You know, so, so, but, but think about, think about the person who has never, okay, first off, we as a, a community of the humanity have been pushing certain, a certain story, a certain narrative, the one that he just presented. We were doing this long before 2020. We have been influencing the collective consciousness of humanity by trying to tell people the truth, by searching for the truth, by the research that's gone on, and by the ability to share it on the Internet. Now, yeah. we, we, we look at the Warsaw Pact and how fast that came down. Well, that was without the Internet. That was with a fax machine. We have the Internet. There is an, As a matter of fact, um, Catherine Austin Fitz said, uh, stop calling it alternative news. We are the new news stations. Mm -hmm. We are the new news media. You know, and and she's absolutely correct. So as the Internet has freed us to be able to organize in ways that the dark side thought they were going to be able to control us. But no, it's back and everything they do has been blown up in their faces. And, you know, this was this is one of the main ones. Oh, let's do this. We can. This is a way of getting people controlled. I mean, they're doing it on the phones. They, they, if OK, one of the things that's come out is that if uh, you go over to a website that they don't like, they boost the power on your phone. They boost so it. Yeah, so the phone becomes uncomfortable. Yeah. Really? There, yeah, yeah. There's some. There's been some uh, study done on it. You know, monitoring monitoring the phone levels while they switch different uh, websites. Oh, wow. Yeah, the alternative websites have got a, let's say, a discordant uh, frequency to it. Not Interesting. good. Yeah. Hmm. So, but that was what, what they're wearing your sugar that, nugget. Not, well, that's true. But the, 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 you know, the concept behind it was that the internet was going to give them more control. And in fact, it didn't. You know, it, it's blown up in their faces. It's given us more control. I mean, yeah, listen, I think they, they, listen. they hadn't reckoned on, you know, when the web emerged from the internet, the internet was an intelligence operation, military operation, but then. You know, when I forget the name of the guy who came up with the, the World Wide Web, you know, that it just, uh, it's like, whoa, 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 you're not going to democratize this thing. Whoa, you're not going to make this accessible to, you know, everyone on the planet to share all information they want beyond our control. Whoa, 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 too late. You know, cat's out of the bag. Um, yeah, you know, just in, in terms of sharing, you know, the truth about September 11th, you know. Um, just, you know, imagine how difficult bringing out all those facts would have been if it was simply a matter of fax machines and snail mail. Exactly. 
So we're in a very good place, in my opinion. I mean, I, I see. All right. Well, let me let me give you an example. Okay. So the 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 two big narratives is 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 there a white hat alliance? Is there an organization that is real that's fighting for us that's got the 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 plan? You know that, and you know something I found out recently um, that apparently the plan. You know how they talk about the plan, right? Been, all right, the plan, and it's supposedly this huge book that was in existence when John Kennedy was was president, um, and he knew of it, and that's why he was taken out. Well, a lot of reasons, but that that was the main reason. Um, but Howard Hughes is the one that did it. Was yeah. that put the plan together to begin with? Yeah. Oh gosh, I have. To, I think it was Walt telling me this, um, because he, and I think it was uh, Alex Collier that was t- talking the story. But I could be somebody else. I mean, because you know, this station, what we bring to the to the public is a is a group of people that are independently doing their own research. Then we come together and that they'll say, well, this is what I heard. And that's what, and sometimes if there's enough time before a show, we will share a, a link and say, you got to look at this. And then we discuss these things. So we're bringing in just a different, uh, different people doing different research. But it's a massive amount of research, and that's what I'm talking about. The level of knowledge, of education, of information. Just think back on ourselves. You know, yeah. spring 2019. I didn't think we had a crapshoot in hell of being able to survive because of the collapse of the biosphere. And right. you know, because of 5G. And, you know, now look at us. We've got, you know... A good portion of humanity awake to the fact that there is a damn big problem here, and it goes beyond the five G, which we knew, but the five G was their latest weapon. You know, yeah. Now we didn't quite. You know, it's like, well, but they're killing everybody with five G. How are they going? What's the cover story for that? <laughs> that was that was our question. What's the cover yeah. story? How it are they possibly going to come up with a cover story for people dropping like flies? Hmm. Yeah. See how yeah. about a pandemic that mimics the symptoms of 5G? Right, right. And again, for those that don't know, the CDC has actually published a study that says that there is a definite connection between 5G and this supposed breakout of this pandemic. Yeah, yeah. That's you know, it's right on there on <laughs> nh.gov, folks. You know. Yeah. But- no, this is. But this is. See, see the fact that that I I can't tell you when. It, when I started reading that, I was like, I think one of the happiest times of my life was reading that document because it was superbly researched and put together. Obviously, it had been, it, it just didn't come out of nowhere. Somebody had been working on this information for quite a long time. Okay. Oh, yeah. It was, you know, that, very, another version very, of you and me and, and not the other. Anything you want. Yeah. And, um, so that was, you know, okay, and not only that, but it was, they published it they, it's on the internet, right? So that was my key to the fact that maybe there is an alliance, maybe there is a, an alternate group of people who are not showing themselves to us, but have shown themselves to the dark side, um, you know, because that was just an indicator. But the other thing that makes me another, let's say, 
something you can hang your hat on. Uh, an, another thing is this weird thing about all of these people coming down with COVID, even though they've been, you know, doubly vaccinated and all the boosters, including the vice president of the United States. Kamala. Kamala. Oh, really? Yes. Now, and it wasn't only her. There was a number of people that, you know, came down with, with I mean, Pelosi. They had it, too. So you've got these people that are fully vaccinated who have a real stature. And everybody going to know, you know, that, oh, they just put it on CBS, NBC, and, I, you know, that, that Harris has got the COVID. Um, you could keep that quiet, especially in, in Harris's case, because nobody knows where she is anyway. So you could keep that quiet. But why did you publicize that? Because it goes against your narrative. Get the vaccinations so, so, and the boosters, because that's you what's going to save You know what they could do, though, Nancy? You know what they could do is they go... See, this is how dangerous it is. Even people who've been doubly boosted can possibly become sick with this incredibly deadly disease. So you'd better get our quadruple boost and a new quintuple sextuple boost is coming your way next month. <laughs> well, most people, are, I mean, the, now we're hearing that people are, are refusing to get the boosters. because. But that. But I think it's kind of like, I think the white hats are in control because they're releasing certain information like that that would make everybody set back and say, "Wait a minute, I'm not. If it's not working, why the hell would you be taking it?" And then they get, you know, now they go from being brainwashed to being, you know, at least asking questions because that's the problem: is these people aren't asking questions. Yeah. <clears throat> Yeah, well, you know, we we will see fairly shortly. And, I, you know, I don't necessarily call them white hats um, because, you know, my history with the truth movement goes back to 2011, 2012. And, you know, the white hats were, that was a phrase being used. You know, people like our old friend uh, Jake Bailey, uh, Neil Keenan, people like that, um, David Wilcock was talking about, you know, the White Hats, 4th of July, 2012, you know, the shutdown, the mass arrests, the uh, airport shutdown, you know, it's all, it's all going to happen. Uh, oh, not this month. There was a delay. Next month. Oh, well, you know, we tried to reboot the financial system, but they managed to insert a bug. So they double checked it, triple checked it next month, you know, month after month, year after year. But the white hats are on it. The white hats are on it, you know, and um, and at a certain point, you know that there's a psyop using the, the name white hats. And then there's actual alliance of what, you know, Reverend Maya uh, refers to as the inner light network and uh, the inner light network. I might feel like Maya and I are the only ones out there letting people know it exists because they're not going on, you know, big radio shows, internet alternative radio shows to let everybody know we are the white hats and behind the scenes we are manipulating this and the arranging, you know, no, they're the real ones are the quiet ones. And I like I like this NIH.gov document for that reason. Like you, it's like, okay, here's a couple of highly placed medical researchers who somehow just decided, hmm, interesting correlation between the outbreak of COVID in Wuhan and the switching on of the 5G networks there. 
Hmm, interesting correlation in the other major outbreaks uh, around the world with the switching out of 5G. Let's do a proper, you know, proper methodology, you know, peer-reviewed study, and uh, and lo and behold, there it is. But God, we sure need the Interlight Network. Um, you're part of it. <laughs> yeah, you and me. Uh, we're not card-carrying members, but uh, on the soul level, I think we are. Yeah, I think that there, I've always felt that, well, not always, but I hoped, um, but now I feel that there are people scattered throughout the, you know, the, the economy, the financial, the every, everything that are truly, you know, like us. Um, that we, we didn't fall for it, that we're fighting against the evil, that we're courageous enough to ask to see what we need to do to get sit, sit, situational awareness. Catherine Austin Fitz, you know, described that. Situational awareness. Understand what it is that we're, we find ourselves in so that we know what to do to change it. Right. It's not a matter of getting, you know, um, wrapped up in the, the drama of it. It's a matter of understanding where we're at in this perceived reality and how do we make the changes in our perception to make it go you know into a new reality of hope and joy and everything that we can be um you know so that so that that's where we're at with this and and i believe that there are just more of us than there are of them yeah and one of my favorite stories that that came out that maya shared i'm going to take a little risk and share this let's see you know that once in a while their cage gets rattled the bad guy's cage gets rattled by something that's like holy crap they figured this out holy crap oh my god they're putting a shungite grid all over the planet oh my god the the internet's working and oh, you know and that there's supposedly this guy who goes by the code name of hemlock who you know, might be a reincarnation of Aristotle and is enormously wealthy, influential, informed, and strategically savvy, and that he chose to rattle the cage of the cabal by pretty much like throwing down a gauntlet of information given to key people in the cabal, kind of like what Reiner Fulmich is doing. It's like, we're on to you. This information is now available to us. You won't know who we are, but you know that I am sufficiently influential, sufficiently wealthy, and sufficiently gutsy to throw this gauntlet down in your faces and now try sleeping tonight. <laughs> How well are you going to sleep tonight knowing that we're out there? And I like to think that we all can sleep better tonight knowing that they're out there. I mean, because it's like, you and me and Maya and, you know, Walt Silva and, you know, Derek Condit and all, you know, multiply that by a few hundred thousand million, right in the full make. Uh, I just take comfort in, you know, my my brave truth speaking, truth seeking friends. So we're kind of uh, coming up on the end of the show here. Um, any yes. last words of wisdom and blessing? Um. Well, just just that I, I it's like I signed off last night. I said, just be happy, you know. Don't get yourself all worked up about what you you know the perceived reality. You just need to understand it so that you can step back from it and not get dirty by it. It's going to be fine. 
I've been at this for a long time and, you know, I've never been so full of belief that, you know, God's one and we're just in a wrap up situation. So, and don't believe most of what you hear because it's really getting crazier and crazier. Indeed. Yeah. So God, goddess is in her heaven and all's right with the world. There you yes. go. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Thanks so much, Nancy. Thanks, everybody. Radio 5G, Michael Henry Dunn, Nancy Hopkins signing off. God bless us, everyone. See you next time. You've been listening to Radio 5G, a production of CosmicReality.com. Thank you for listening. <laughs>